Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Today, I'm joined by Patrice Tanaka, Chief Joy Officer, you heard it right, Joy Officer at Joyful Planet, a business and life strategy consulting firm. Joyful Planet's mission is twofold, to help people discover and live their life's purpose and in doing so, unleash their greatest success, fulfillment, and joy and to help organizations create more purposeful, productive, and joyful workplaces. Patrice has an impressive entrepreneurial background and spirit, but more importantly, is passionate about living her purpose in life, which she says is to choose joy every single day, and is passionate about helping others find their purpose too. Patrice, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm looking forward to talking to you, and thank you for inviting me. Well, I am incredibly honored to have you on the show. I believe as we're recording, you might be the 127th or 128th episode over the last three years. Um, And there are two, probably 10 reasons, but two that I'll just point out for our listeners, reasons why I'm so excited to have you on. One, because I didn't mention this in the intro, but you have been such an incredible inspiration and force in the PR industry before starting Joyful Planet having founded, started and founded multiple firms. I always tell people I was so scared to pitch against you because I knew I would lose. <laughs> I don't think I've ever won. But the thing that I admire really the most about you, not just your next chapter in your career that we're going to talk about, but you have always been a fierce advocate for employees and for your staff and for your teammates and for human beings and for humanity. And I could argue easily that that is something that still is somewhat vacant, sadly, in the PR industry and marketing industry, but it's also somewhat missing in many industries. So that's just two of 10 reasons why I'm so excited. Maybe we'll have a part two to this podcast where I can (laughs) uncover the other eight reasons. But I thank you so much for joining me today. I really do. Thank you. Well, let's hope I live up to your expectations. (laughs) You will, trust me. So I want to start with the founder's story behind Joyful Planet. You founded it, I believe, in 2015. And what's so interesting to me when I think about the books that you've written and the words of wisdom that you put into the market for both clients as well as others in our industry and in other industries, your timing now, I think Joyful Planet now is probably more important and more prescient now than it was even in 2015 for so many reasons, not the least of which is that we are coming out of this cloud of COVID, monkeypox, polio, whatever it is, right? But there has certainly been a pivot and a rethink, if you will, as our friends in the UK like to say, of life and do you work to live or do you live to work and how you live your life and how you find joy. And as we are recording this, this whole thing about quiet quitting is a thing that everybody's talking about. So do you talk a little bit about one, the impetus behind the founding and two, just how are you feeling about how relevant and resonant what your vision and mission is today? Well, I've actually been living my life purpose for 20 years now. I was actually forced by an executive coach in February 2002 when I went to her because I could barely get out of bed. I was so depressed. And part of it was that this was five months after 9-11 and like most New Yorkers and Americans, we were still reeling from the 
the horror of that day. But I was also exhausted from building my agency with 12 other partners after leading them in a management buyback from Shia So I was just totally exhausted and go to this coach. And first thing she says, I can help you, but first you need to do one thing for me, which is I need you to rethink your purpose in life. And when I heard that, I was really annoyed because I didn't have the energy to rethink my purpose in life. And I tried to negotiate with her. Well, if you work with me for a few weeks, then maybe I can find the energy to rethink my purpose in life. I don't think I even had a purpose in life. She was just very generous in saying, rethink your purpose. So anyway, when I realized I couldn't get out of this exercise, I thought about, thought about, thought about what my purpose could be. And informed by 9-11, I couldn't really buy into any grandiose, tied to the future, visionary, aspirational life purpose statements. So what I came up with was very simple. My purpose in life is to choose joy in my life every day, to be mindful of that joy and to share that joy with others. And I felt that if I could live this way every single day, then it wouldn't matter how much time I had left, that every day would be full and full of joy. Because I kept thinking about the nearly 3,000 people who died on 9-11, where they went to work that morning and they didn't return home that evening. And that's kind of shocking because most of us don't wonder whether we're going to return home after work. We just assume that we are. But that was a bad bet because those people got caught short. And my sense is because that so many of those people were young. They were in their 20s and 30s, 40s. They weren't thinking about their life being over anytime soon, right? I'm sure they all thought they were going to live long enough to accomplish what mattered most. But they got cut short and they weren't able to do that. So I wanted to live my life in such a way that every single day was complete in and of itself. And it didn't really matter how long I had to live. I could be a happy camper whenever it was my time to go, even if I were one of those nearly 3,000 people who are caught short in the Twin Towers that day. And so I've been living my life purpose for the past 20 years. And I have to say that just choosing joy every day, which is a start, and then being mindful of it, because unless you are, it escapes you how much joy you have in your life. And then you have to share your joy with others. You can't hoard your joy, because the more you share, the more you get in return. I think that's the way that you create abundance for yourself, by sharing what you have. And so during the past two and a half years of pandemic, all I did was continue to focus on living my life purpose, choosing joy, being mindful of it, and sharing it with others. And despite a global pandemic, yes, that was filled with horror, especially in the early 2020, there was a lot of joy to be had. In fact, I decided, since it looked like we were all going virtual, to create this Zoom event series called joy in a time of coronavirus. And what I did was every two weeks, I would feature an artist or healer, someone who could bring us a message of hope 
and comfort during a difficult time. And then I just sent an email to everybody I knew, inviting them to attend. So I had some really interesting guests like a Hawaiian cultural practitioner teaching us about living in harmony with source or God and the environment and humanity. And if we can do that, that is how you live Lokahi. And then I had a Black opera singer who won, who actually is a tenor and he's a Heldon tenor and he performs the heroic roles in opera. And he was fabulous and sang some arias for us. And and I had a friend who was a poet, a woman poet, an African-American, who talked to us about her poetry. And she read for us. She's published 10 volumes of poetry right now. So, you know, it was a lovely healing moment. So I did things like that. And my joyful choices during the pandemic changed because I was being offered different things. Pat Ford, who was the chair of the Diversity Action Alliance, which you probably know are 15 influential organizations in the PR profession who came together to commit to making an impact on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Pat asked me if I would co-chair DAA with him. And I love Pat. And I was like, of course, be happy to do that. So I did that. And that was a really rich and rewarding experience. I got to work closely with Carmela Glover, who is the president-elect for PRSA New York, and she's going to be fabulous. And then I was talking to Shelly Spector one day, and I said, Shelly, why is it that you have these in your diversity series? You honor and celebrate different diverse groups, but you've never celebrated Asian Americans, uh, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. And she said, well, I would like to. Will you help me? And I was like, okay, if we can do it efficiently. So I'm going to reach out to Angela Chitkara. And if the three of us can organize this event, because we only had a couple months, I said, I think we can do this really efficiently. And so we started the first AAPI Heritage Month event that the museum produced in May of 2020. And because I knew that the museum didn't really have a great platform to make sure that we could retrieve the recordings, I asked Faye Shapiro, our dear friend Faye at Compro, if she could donate Compro services to give us that platform and help us produce this. So that was the first time they ever did anything on a second party platform. And it was great because we were able to get 17 AAPI professionals from across the country, something that they weren't able to do when it was live events at the Museum of PR. Now it's virtual. Everybody could participate from wherever they were. So I did a lot of great things that brought me a lot of joy And then, too, my work through Joyful Planet, which I was always doing as live workshops, all of a sudden, there were no live workshops, so I I had to do virtual webinars. And it was actually a gift that I wasn't thinking, because then I could work for companies and for all of their employees spread out across the U.S. or the Americas or globally, and they could attend 
the webinar. So very comfortably from from my own apartment, I could do these virtual webinars. So I have to say that the past two plus years of pandemic have probably been my most productive and joy-filled years, simply because all I did was I continued to focus on actively living my purpose. And that's why I'm such an evangelist about people discovering and then have clarity about their purpose so they can begin to actively live it. Because I think when you do that, you are unleashing greater success and fulfillment and joy, not just in your personal life, but in your workplace and in your community. So discovering and actively living your purpose is what I'm like banging the drum about all the time. And I'm excited to work with organizations. And my my belief is that organizations in 2019, when the CEOs of the Business Roundtable actually came together to redefine the statement of purpose of a corporation, saying that it is to serve all stakeholders, not just shareholders. So corporations have been more and more communicating their business purpose. I think that's great, but they shouldn't expect that just because they, the organization, has a business purpose that every employee is going to buy into that purpose and get behind it wholeheartedly and fulsomely. I think the smarter play is that organizations should work with their employees, help them discover their individual life purpose, and then invite them to find the alignment between their individual purpose and the purpose of the organization to create greater engagement to help drive the business forward. To me, that is the next level up. And the only executive, the only CEO in corporate America who's even talking about doing this is Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. And Microsoft, of course, has its own business purpose, which is to empower every individual and every organization to achieve more. So obviously, if you have a stated business purpose like that, then you need to enlist your employees and be able to deliver on that for them. So Nadella wants every Microsoft employee to be able to live their life purpose through the vehicle of Microsoft so they can say, I don't work for Microsoft. Microsoft works for me. And that to me is the smarter play for a CEO because it's going to be hard to hire away an employee who believes they can live their purpose at the company that they're working for, but they're not sure that they could do that if they were to work for you, even for thousands of dollars more. Anyway, too much. I'm going to stop here now because I could go on forever and ever. I appreciate all of that in the setup and the context. There's so much to unpack. Just a couple of things. You and I have been around long enough to know that not everybody's Microsoft and there are operators and there are leaders. And there are probably more folks who are better operators than they are leaders, even though they try to profess and manifest both. And one of the things I've run into quite frequently is I don't mind working with a really good operator who knows where their deficiencies are as a leader. The worst type of person to work with is somebody who is an operator who doesn't really care about the purpose. Or they're doing it because they're checking a box. So I guess my question for you is, how do you transform someone who historically has been a really great operator, but they need to be a better leader 
And then second is, I'll use a micro example on this. Back in the agents, PR agency days, you'll have young people, and it still happens today, where they're like, I don't want to work here anymore because I really just want to work on fashion and beauty, or I want to work on fintech, or crypto is the future, NFTs, and you're putting me on like a B2B manufacturing client and whatever. And certain agencies with scale might be able to do some maneuvering and find that intersectionality that you talk about between the company's goals and then your purpose. Smaller firms or smaller companies don't necessarily have that luxury. So the first question, which is a bigger one, which is how do you transform someone from operator to leader that's purposeful and has purpose at the center? And the second is how do you find that intersectionality between an individual's purpose and the company's mission? Well, there are a few questions in that. But first, let me say, I think purpose is a purview for any and every organization, no matter what their size. Because one of the reasons that I started my consultancy, Joyful Planet, is that I realized that the two most important things I ever did for myself was to discover and articulate a life purpose for myself. But many years before then, discovering and articulating a business purpose for PT and Company, my first PR agency that I co-founded with 12 other partners after leading them in a management buyback from Shiat Day. Now, the business purpose, and I didn't even use that terminology, business purpose. I was just, I was trying to come up with an efficient and cost-efficient way to distinguish our startup PR agency from the thousands of other established PR agencies in New York City and the tens of thousands across the country. So what I articulated in a very succinct statement was that PT and company is committed to creating great work, a great workplace, and great communities that work. I felt that the three things were linked. Great work because That's why clients come to you and stay with you. A great workplace because you have to attract and retain top talent to produce great work. And then finally, great communities that work. By that, I meant healthy, sustainable communities within and beyond our workplace. I felt that the promise of coming to PT and company and helping us to create great communities that work was the most compelling proposition to the most talented people that we wanted to attract because talented people have options, right? And they know their talents and capabilities. So if you're offering them the opportunity to create healthy, sustainable communities, that's pretty compelling. So that was what our purpose was, though we didn't call it our purpose. It was just, that was our distinguishing platform. And I just thought, okay, this is what needs to focus and drive us in building PT and company. Within eight years, we were recognized as the number one most creative PR agency in the whole industry, among all agencies, big and small. And number two, best workplace among all PR agencies, again, big and small. I didn't think it much at the time. I thought, okay, well, we're a very creative, hardworking, persevering group. So I'm not surprised at our success. But it's only many years later that I appreciated the power of a business purpose to focus and drive a group to accomplish what they say matters most. And so I don't buy into if you're too small to have a business purpose. In fact, if you're too small, you would really benefit from having a clearly articulated and compelling business purpose. Now, 
firms that are too big. Think about Unilever, right? With their 150,000 employees globally. They have probably the most elegant, streamlined business purpose. Four words, make sustainable living commonplace. That is beautiful because every single one of their 150,000 employees globally probably can recite what that business purpose is for Unilever. If they read nothing else or remember nothing else in a three-inch thick binder of what they should do as employees and what our business plans are for every unit in the company, they don't have to remember. They can just remember our business purpose is to make sustainable living commonplace. So if you're an R&D, you know what innovation means at Unilever, right? It's not incremental product and service tinkerings and line extensions here and there. If it is not making sustainable living commonplace, then it's not really going to be valued within the company. So I think that words, as we know, matter. Words are powerful and words can move a movement. And so I think it's leaving money on the table. (laughs) If CEOs aren't thinking that they could probably improve productivity and profitability by communicating a business purpose and not just communicating it, you have to operationalize your business purpose. And again, small organizations have an advantage because it's easier to operationalize something when you have 13 people versus 150,000 people, but it can be done It does take courage. I mean, I think now more than ever, there are moments in time where employees are demanding to hear more about a company's purpose relative to what's going on in culture and in policy and in politics. And you and I, when when we started, you never ever mixed politics and policy. You never commented on anything. And now it is absolutely requisite, not just for leadership, but for success whether it is commenting on a Supreme Court decision or on voter rights, things like that. So it's almost as though there are more organic opportunities to be authentic, to match what's going on in the world to the company's purpose. And at the same time, it does require some courage because not everybody's going to have your worldview of your purpose or your values. Yeah. Well, even if you don't have the courage of the CEO today, I think that you'll probably be moved by the tremendous research that is available to show how much more profitable purpose-driven organizations are versus profit-only focused organizations. There's so much research that it's almost like if you're not reading that research and understanding, there is more unleashing to be gained by being a purpose-driven organization, then you're either willfully arrogant and not informed. And if that's the case, you need to be removed as CEO because there's so much information that you cannot be willfully ignorant when you could increase your productivity and profitability immeasurably simply by doing this, this one thing discovering, articulating, and communicating a business purpose and operationalizing it in every area of the company or the organization. So what do you say to people who are a little bit more skeptical? We'll call them old school people. I'm not one of these people, just for the record. 
where they're like, they call it work for a reason, you know, work isn't supposed to be like fun. It isn't supposed to be joyful. It's work. That's why they call it that. Yeah. Again, for willfully ignorant senior executives, C-suite executives, all you have to do is look at all the McKinsey research. Just during the pandemic, they did a focus on the intersection between individual purpose and organizational purpose. And there's so much research about how much more engaged and how much more productive your workforce is if you are a purpose-driven organization who acknowledges and recognizes and invites your employees to align with your business purpose. I don't know, how much more research does there have to be? There's hundreds of studies, but I understand that adoption takes time. Yeah, I was reflecting, we all find joy in our own way. By the way, when I did my first Ironman back in 2012, and I did it for a charity that's very, very close to my heart, someone had recommended to me that I write IMWA, I-M-U-A on my arm. Imua, I'm sorry, I didn't say it right, which is basically always forward, never stop, keep going. And that was 10 years ago. And that stuck with me. That really, really stuck with me. And I often try at least once a day, if not in the morning, to just reflect and have some gratitude for all the things that I have, not material things, things in my life, my wife, my friends, my children, of course, my puppies. And I think it's really, really important. And what's so interesting to me is I'm kind of like happy and a little bit envious of this next generation of workers because I'm at a point in my career where I still have 30 years behind me where I didn't have the flexibility that workers and people have today. And personally, I hope that doesn't go away. There are a lot of terrible things that occurred because of COVID. There are some very positive movements as well that have occurred that reset ourselves because of COVID. And I think one of them is flexible work. I don't believe in fully remote work. I think it's very harmful for society and for human beings, especially for young people who wanna learn. But I do believe that there should be, and I always have, there should be more hybrid and more flexibility in work environments. And I just think like what attitude and what kind of differences would I embody today if I had that then? And I just, I'll never know. But it's to your point earlier, it's one of the reasons why I started my own agency. Literally, if you go back to the initial press release, I remember Paul Holmes covered it. It was a values-based agency. And you know how much shit I got from people? This is back in 2005. They're like, really a values-based agency? And they'd always put it like in quotes. I'm like, yeah, because we value human beings. And we also value the decisioning behind the types of clients we're gonna take or not take. We're not gonna work with tobacco. We're not gonna work with arms manufacturers. There was a whole list of companies, types of companies that we decided don't bring us joy and certainly don't bring the world joy. Yeah, and you know, because our business purpose, although we, we didn't call it a business purpose back in 1990, was to create great work, a great workplace and great communities that work. That last piece meant that we couldn't take on clients that were harmful to society. So that's why we had to turn down four tobacco manufacturers who wanted to hire us. And that was kind of one of the easier kind of things to walk away from. But it also extended to other things. Like twice we had to resign our biggest client because one time they had taken an anti-gay position, even though we really 
begged them not to do this because it was going to unleash all kind of negative coverage for them. But they, for their own political reasons, they had to do this. And then we realized after we helped them through the crisis that if we continue to work for them, then we're going to be complicit in supporting an anti-gay position. And so our only recourse was to resign. So we had to resign that client. I hate to say this, but like, I've fired lots of clients for moral reasons, really. And sometimes it's as simple as, you're treating my staff like shit. That's not okay. I warned you once. You only get one warning. One warning. And after that, we're done. I don't care how big you are. We're done. We fired our biggest client. I mean, it was a $2 million account because the our client contact was abusive to the account team. You can't just reassign that account to another team because the client is still going to be abusive, right? And the thing is that the reason he was abusive was because his boss, the CEO, was abusive to him. It was learned, yeah. Yeah. I hate to put you on the spot, but you're good on the spot. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Two to three top quick tips for people who are looking to kind of reorient themselves to find joy for themselves and others things, and I know it takes time, it's a commitment, but what are the things they should be thinking about and doing tomorrow morning when they wake up to kind of reorient? Two to three tips. Yeah. Well, you said this earlier about gratitude. I find that if you focus on your gratitude, like I told you that I choose joy every day, I not only choose it, and I make that request for tremendous joy in my life, before I go to bed every night, I count all the joyful episodes of the day, and usually I can easily get to 25 to 30. And so I am mindful of all the joy in my life. So I think one, just be grateful for and actually express verbally your gratitude for all the things that you are joyful for. And I count everything from a, a great interaction with an Uber driver to winning a new account. Same meeting. It's just joy. So focus on your gratitude. I also think that you need to choose what it is that you want in your life. A lot of times people feel that they don't have a choice that they have to do this or they so-and-so expects them to do this. I say, if that's how you want to define your life, listen to other people. But if you want to define your own life and design the life that you want, choose the things that you want in your life, including the people that you want in your life. Okay. And third, and I'm going to make this offer to you and your readers as a thank you to you for your leadership of PRSA New York and all of the good that you're doing with your broadcast. I have a 11 question questionnaire that I use in my workshops and webinars. And I try to come up with the most efficient way to help people think through the questions that will lead them to their life purpose and to be able to articulate the first iteration of their life purpose. So if anyone emails me, patrice at joyfulplanet.com, patrice at joyfulplanet.com, and mention that they heard me on your podcast, I will email them the questionnaire. They'll be able to get to the first iteration of their life purpose by answering the questions and being guided to write that. And you beat me to it because I was going to say what's the best way for people to reach you. But I hear gratitude and I definitely hear agency. We all have agency to choose our path, to choose our journey, not let others choose it for us. And then the questionnaire. So Patrice, thank you so much, not just for being you, but for 
putting joy in the world, sharing your wisdom. I definitely think we need to have a part two, maybe early next year. I need to say something because people think that, oh, she's all about joy and she goes around sprinkling joy dust. Joy is the result of actively, well, discovering first and then actively living your life purpose and leveraging your talent, your expertise and your passion in service of other people and our planet. If you are leveraging your talent, your expertise, and your passion in service of other people on our planet, you will unleash that joy in in yourself, and you will contribute to creating a more joyful planet, which is the name of my consultancy. So everyone can unleash their own joy, but they have to do a little bit of work and discover and actively live their purpose to be able to unleash that joy. That's a great way to end. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for chapter two and everything that you're doing for us. So thank you, Patrice and Joyful Planet. Mahalo and aloha. (laughs) Mahalo, aloha. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies, organizations, and people. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our production team, including Maria Bias, Michael Grubbs, Anna Lamb, Haley Sackett, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show, sponsorship opportunities, and hosts by emailing BOP at kwtglobal.com or visiting aaronquitkin.com. Find us on LinkedIn and Instagram under Brand on Purpose Podcast.